Cruise Radio is brought to you in part by TripInsurance.com. Travel insurance done right by the people who know travel insurance. Get a quote today at TripInsurance.com. Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, what's up? My name is Doug Parker. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio. Very happy to have you here, my friend. Don't forget... Over 400 episodes of Cruise Radio have been produced and uploaded for your listening pleasure. Uh, you can find those on iTunes or at cruiseradio.net. Also, don't forget about our new show, River Cruise Radio, a show kind of like Cruise Radio, but a little different, focusing more on the river cruise sector. I understand it's very niche, so I started my own show uh, to focus just on river cruises and that market. That can be found on iTunes as well or at rivercruiseradio.net. All right, on this show, Sherry Kennedy is standing by with Cruise News. Also, we'll get a review of Celebrity Solstice on a cruise to Alaska from Seattle. I love that ship. It was actually my very first celebrity ship. So uh, we'll talk to Paul here in just a bit. But first, Sherry Kennedy with Cruise News. What's up, Sherry? Hey, Doug. So Virgin Cruises, we first heard about them in June of 2015. They had this big announcement to launch a cruise line in 2020. And then they kind of went radio silent for a year and a half. But they had a press conference a few days ago, and they revealed some information. What did they tell us? Well, Sir Richard jetted into Miami again on Tuesday with a big announcement that the cruise line known as Virgin Cruises is now called Virgin Voyages. So I guess they're going for the alliteration. And the deal was inked finally with an Italian shipyard to begin the ceremonious steel cutting, which will take place early next year. And then the traditional keel laying ceremony is scheduled for late 2017. And like you mentioned, there are going to be three ships that that will be entering service. The first in 2020, we're going to be so old by then, in 2021 and 2022, and they're all going to carry about 2,800 passengers, which is a nice size. Yeah, so that's like 110,000 gross registered tons of peace. But, you know, we still don't have renderings. I mean, they have the leaked renderings that came out, but we still don't have any details on these ships, do we? Nothing. I haven't seen any more than you have, no matter how hard you try to find it on Google. It's under so, lock and key. You know, I think, yeah, it is under lock and key. That's for sure. They're, keep, they're keeping mom. Just like you said, they went radio silent for a year and a half. And then, boing, they come out with the new name change. So I really think that's their strategy is to just fly under the radar, get things in place, and then do a, a typical Richard Branson splash and, you know, a big announcement. Moving on here, of course, we were both very involved with Hurricane Matthew a couple of weeks ago, and our friends down in Freeport, Bahamas, uh, not so lucky as we were. They certainly weren't. Most of Grand Bahama Island is still closed to visitors following Hurricane Matthew, which, believe it or not, was two weeks ago today. Well, the storm raced through the island with 140-mile-an-hour winds and really did cause some severe damage to the town of Freeport and the little colorful Port Lucayan marketplace, you know, right when you get off the ship and you've got those little, they look like they're going to blow over in a slight wind, <laughs> yeah, let alone right. a hurricane, you know? So, and, and what's odd is, and this is the strange thing about hurricanes, Nassau, which is just south of Grand Bahama Island, went through the storm with hardly any damage at all. Carnival has still discontinued its visits to Freeport, and they are rerouting their ships until further notice, but they do want to return as soon as possible. 
Yeah, and also uh, the course, the Grand Lucayan, which is one of the hotels where uh, cruise passengers like to get day passes from. They're scheduled <laughs> to open up on November eighth. They said um, they had some yeah. roof damage and some flooding happen there. And uh, the Grand Lucayan marketplace, as you said, got a lot of damage. But you know, I posted this story the other day on Facebook, and people were like, "Oh, good, Freeport sucks, anyways." But there's people that live there, and there's people whose lives depend on the cruise industry, you know? It's sad. Sure. When you get off the ship and you see these little ramshack, I mean, they're I mean, they're very pretty, they're colorful, but, you know, they're just these little huts where people are selling everything from, you know, um, puka shells to baseball caps, and, and this is how they make their living. Yeah. So it is sad. They're out of a job until until the business can come back, no matter where you are on the island, even, even if you're a hotel worker or caretakers or anything. Um, yeah, so the sooner they can get back together, it'll certainly be economically uh, beneficial for everyone. Well, yeah, and we've seen this before, like islands with Grand Cayman and Costa Maya who've been hit and then been out of commission for a little while, but back up and going. So, of course, Freeport will land on their feet again as well. Moving on here to Carnival Vista, Carnival Cruise Line's newest and 25th ship in the fun ship fleet easy for me to say uh she just won cruise ship of the year from cruisecritic.com but she'll soon be here in the u.s so uh where is she going to be once she comes to the u.s sherry well she's heading over like you said very soon and she will be in new york city where there will be two 11-night Caribbean sailings round trip. And then towards the end of November, the Carnival Vista will reposition to Miami, which will be the new home port for year-round Caribbean cruising. But if you're wondering what the itineraries might be following the repositioning, um, starting on New Year's Eve, the Vista will set out in a series of, it's going to be, you know, because they have to take up two weeks. So yeah. an eight night and then a six night. So it'll be alternating eight and six night cruises. And this is kind of interesting because the eight night cruises will include, there's two different itineraries. One will go to Grand Turk, San Juan, St. Kitts and St. Martin. And then the other one will go Grand Turk, La Romana, Aruba, and then either Bonaire or Curacao. So there's going to be some variety with the eight nights. It's not going to be the same thing every other week, which is really nice. And the shorter ones, these are the ones I think, I, you know, because this is my favorite little bitty itinerary, will go to Ocho Rios, Grand Cayman, and Cozumel. And oh. you know, what what better six day break can you take? Right? Yeah, how fun there. <laughs> uh, now. Uh, Taking things south to the Southern Caribbean, St. Martin is saying goodbye to a legend. That's a good segue. St. Martin certainly is. And I guess, uh, as Andrea Bocelli would say, it's time to say goodbye. It is the, <laughs> I had to put that in there because it was in my head. It's the end of an era for Dutch airliner KLM and their Boeing 747 when it lands in St. Martin. And as we've been there, we've seen this. It's a ritual. They watch it as this huge 740s, bright blue, like Robin's Egg Blue 747. Looks like it's going to give everybody a mohawk haircut <laughs> as, it, as it skims the beach and touches down on the runway. Now, they'll be sailing the Airbus A330 in there instead, replacing that Amsterdam to St. Martin flight. Uh, Airbus yeah. A330, not as big and as cool as a 747, but Calum is still going to St. Martin, still landing planes just off the beach, but just a lot smaller planes, right? It'll be right. And the last scheduled arrival is October 28th at 10.55 a.m. So if anybody is a diehard 
KLM watch the 747 land sort of a person, um, you better get your ticket and head over there as soon as you can. We've been talking with Sherry Kennedy from CruiseMaven.com. Sherry, thanks again. This is Cruise Radio. From its rich heritage, picturesque beaches, and unparalleled blue waters, it's no wonder over 7 million people cruise to the Caribbean every year. What do you want to do? Swim with stingrays at Stingray Bay? Go for an island tour? Take a beach break? Or set sail on a catamaran to spend the day snorkeling? Whatever you decide, CruisingExcursions.com has a shore excursion to fit your budget. Cruising Excursions knows your time on the island is limited and that you want to make the most of your day. That's why they have shore excursions up to 60% cheaper than the cruise lines and offer smaller, more personable tours. Find out for yourself. Research and book your next shore excursion at CruisingExcursions.com. For over 42 years, Park West Gallery has introduced over 1.3 million people to fine art. Here's what actual customers are saying. I've been collecting with Park West five, six years now. Six years. Nine years. Ten years. Everybody we meet at Park West makes you feel comfortable. You're part of their family. It is an exciting and fun experience. It is enjoyable, uplifting. Park West has been so kind to us. Park West makes us excited to spend money on art. To find out more about Park West Gallery, visit parkwestgallery.com or go to cruiseradio.net and click on the Park West Gallery icon. If you missed any part of the show or want to hear more, go to cruiseradio.net and click on Radio Channel or go to iTunes and search Cruise Radio. Follow us on Twitter at Cruise Radio. We always like to get your cruise reviews here on the show. If you have one you'd like to share, drop me an email, Doug, at cruiseradio.net. Like Paul, Paul and his wife just returned from a seven-night cruise from Seattle to Alaska aboard Celebrity Solstice. I love that ship. Paul's on the line right now. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. Even better after we had such a great trip in Alaska. Yeah, it's a, the email that you sent me sounded like it, and we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and it just sounded like you had such an awesome time. So um, before we get to Celebrity Solstice, let's take a step back. And what made you want to sail Celebrity Solstice out of Seattle to Alaska? Well, both my wife and I are not that experienced cruisers, but we are familiar with the Caribbean and had been there many times. And we had taken our first cruise last year on a much smaller boat, the Crystal Serenity, in the Mediterranean. And so this summer, we both thought how cool it would be to be able to face nature up close and personal and head up to a frontier that neither of us had ever been to. And in terms of the ships, I did a lot of research, and I had read so much about these, these sort of very large ships that were almost like mega resort cities at sea. Mm-hmm. And of all of the ones that were heading up to Alaska, the one that seemed to be one of the, the most interesting and the most beautiful was the Celebrity Solstice. Yeah, she has a gorgeous ship. So you get up to Seattle. Did you do any pre-cruise nights up there, or did you just like fly in and board the ship? We flew up the night before and stayed at the Olympia Fairmont Hotel, which is this beautiful, historic old hotel in downtown Seattle that's mm-hmm. been beautifully redone. 
So we were able to fly up there and spend the afternoon of the day before we got on the boat walking around and going to the Sky Needle and going down to Pike's Market and looking at the port, wondering if we would be able to see the celebrity solstice. <laughs> right. And we had a great time in Seattle, and also it gave us a chance to wake up early on the day that we were departing and, uh, and get on board the ship. You live out there on the West Coast, out in Los Angeles. Uh, have you been to, like, the Pike Market before and all that? No, neither of us had ever been. And it was a little touristy, but mm -hmm. so much fun and so interesting walking around and seeing all the different foods, all the different fish, all the different things for sale. And it just felt particularly Pacific Northwesty, and it's so beautiful seeing the ferries head off across the bay and seeing all the greenery, though the particular days we were there, they were experiencing a strong heat wave, so it didn't particularly strike us as, as, as a cold environment at this time of year. Yeah, I'm sure their heat waves are a lot cooler than our heat waves here in Florida, though. <laughs> Yes, I'm, oh, no doubt. <laughs> For sure. Uh, let's talk about Celebrity Solstice, and you, get, you make your way to the pier at the Port of Seattle. How was the embarkation process for you? The embarkation was a total breeze, and I had expected it to be much more crowded and much more complicated. Over the few weeks prior to the cruise, I'd gotten a number of automatic texts from Celebrity telling me that because we were staying on Deck 9, we should best arrive around 12.30 in the afternoon. But then all the research that I had told me that 12.30, 1 o'clock, it was the busiest time. And I was also aware of the fact that it was the first day of our seven-day cruise, and we wanted to get on, on board a little early. So we got there around 10.30 and 11 and was just hoping that no one would stop us or <laughs> inhibit us from going through the process. And no one did. We went right through security very quickly, and there was a line for the premium boarding end, which looked about as long as the line for just the, the normal cabins that, of which my wife and I had one. And I'd say it took us about 15 minutes to stand in that line and go through the check-in, and then we walked right on board the ship. It was a total breeze. What were your first impressions of Celebrity Solstice? Oh, I got to tell you, it was an amazing wow factor. Yeah. We walked right into this 15-story atrium with eight glass elevators going up on either side mm -hmm. and then suspended in the middle of the atrium, they have this beautiful live tree which is in this stylized red planter that is overhead as you look up at it. And it really felt like we had walked into some sort of futuristic science fiction movie, <laughs> and we loved it. It certainly took me away from anything I had ever, anything, any lifestyle that I was leaving behind in Seattle and Los Angeles. It was totally transporting, <laughs> and it blew both my wife and I away. Very cool. So you make your way up to your stateroom. Now, you said you had a room on deck nine. So what kind of room did you have, and what did you think of it? We had a, uh, a balcony stateroom, and I, too, was one of those people that wasn't going to go to Alaska unless I had a deck, my own little private piece of deck that I could walk out and experience nature and all the wonderful sights. When we walked into the cabin, it was very compact, I'll say. 
Um, it didn't strike me as altogether that much different from all of the videos of cabins I had seen on other ships. But it was a miracle of sort of, of, of good design. There was plenty of room to stash our luggage underneath. The bathroom, though small, had a relatively spacious shower, courtesy of these two very cool curving glass doors as opposed to a curtain. And my wife and I found that if we were just organized about where we put everything, we could really turn the cabin into our own little cozy space of the ship that we got to really enjoy. Cool. What do you think of the like the balcony space out there as far as how much room you had for you guys just to hang out there and chill out? The balcony was fine. I was worried that it would be a little too small, mm-hmm. and actually it wasn't. It comfortably held the standard things you see on the deck on, on the balcony of a cruise ship, the little table and the two chairs. But there was plenty of room, and we could sit out there, and we were blessed in terms of the day that we were leaving Seattle as well as the day we were coming back. The weather was great. It felt almost Caribbean-like. Oh, yeah. So we could sit out there and just look at the water, look at the sea. And on the day we were coming back, we actually saw two tugboats towing a submarine. Oh, cool. And that just was a little piece of coolness that we didn't expect. So anyway, there was just all sorts of interesting things to see, and we loved having the balcony. Let's uh, switch gears here and talk about the dining aboard Celebrity Solstice. Of course, you have the Lido Deck area, then you have the main dining room, and I think they have three or four specialty restaurants on board the ship. So let's start at the Lido Deck and then work our way out from there. How was the Lido Deck dining experience for you? I think it was called the the Ocean Cafe or the Ocean Breeze Cafe. I'm not sure exactly what it was called. Huge. And filled with a number of of stations. And most of the stations had just about everything you could conceivably want to eat for lunch or breakfast. It was always crowded, but never so crowded that we had to wait for, for our food or we couldn't find a seat. And I'd have to say, for a venue that is designed to serve 2,000 people, it was pretty good. We enjoyed the ice cream. There was always pizza. There was always sandwiches and meat. And for breakfast, a zillion different possibilities. And it had a great location in terms of we would always get our food and take it out to the open air portion in the aft of the ship Mm -hmm. and uh, really enjoy it. How about the main dining room? What time dining did you have? We had an early seating. And the reason we did, because I usually like to eat a little bit later, but we arrived in the ports relatively early on most of our port days. So we had shore excursions booked early, so we wanted to go to bed not too late. So we thought, let's, let's eat more on the earlier side than the later. We had also a dining package for all of the specialty restaurants, so we only wound up eating in the main dining room two nights. But those two nights were fine. I wouldn't say it was the most gourmet kind of restaurant we'd ever, we, we had ever eaten in, but it was good, and I didn't feel as if we were sacrificing anything eating there. Let's talk about the dining rooms or the uh, specialty venues that you enjoyed on your cruise. Which ones did you go to, and what was your favorite? We went to all, I believe there there are a number of them, but we went to three that were on the dining room, special dining room package that we had. One was the Tuscan Grill, 
which was in the back of the ship. And it's the most dramatic place you can have dinner because you're surrounded again by these huge windows. And you can look out on the back of the ship and see all the ocean that you're leaving behind. It was just a fantastic place to have dinner. And we had a great meal there. I had a steak there that I just loved. The second restaurant we ate in was Silk Road, which is their Pacific Rim Asian restaurant. And the thing that was so great about that is they encouraged us to order as much as we wanted off the menu. They said, this is a place where we're going to put different, different dishes in front of you. We want you to share. We want you to, to treat it like, and it was just though my wife and I, family style. So we ordered a bunch of appetizers and a bunch of main courses, and they were all really good. And I would say they were the equivalent of a high-end, uh, very nice Pacific Rim restaurant on land. Cool. And then I think the, the most memorable experience, and, and for us the nicest, was Murano. Mm-hmm. And they were all quick to say, whenever I asked anyone, oh, this one's a fine dining restaurant. So our expectations were even higher than they were for the others. And it really met the expectations. It was a delicious meal. There was a lot of drama involved, a lot of table-side preparation and and food with flames and flambe and (laughs) desserts. And so we were entertained as well as as we were well-fed. And it was uh, it was just very nice. And then we also ate one night on the uh, in the new sushi restaurant, Sushi on Five, I think it's called. And it was delicious sushi. It was um, really well prepared, very generous, and uh, we had a great meal there. And it, it was not crowded at all, so we really enjoyed it. Just curious, back to Murano, what did you order? Because whenever I went there, I had um, I ordered some kind of lobster dish, and they, they cooked it tableside for me. It was one of the coolest experiences at sea ever, as far as dining goes. Yes, and that is exactly what I had, too. <laughs> okay. And it involved taking the lobster out of the shell and then chopping it, I think, in pieces and then putting a whole bunch of incredibly delicious additional ingredients in a saucepan and then pouring the oil on it or whatever, whatever it is and lighting it aflame. And it was absolutely sensational. It was one of the best lobster dishes I think I, I've ever had. And then... The sequel to that was the flambe dessert, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was on fire, and it was delicious. <laughs> nice. Let's talk about the entertainment aboard Celebrity Solstice. What did you think of the uh, entertainment, and did it meet your expectations? Well, we were particularly apprehensive about that because our past experience the entertainment was not as vibrant and fun as we had hoped. And so I went in with um, wondering exactly what we were going to get. And this is one element where I really feel as if the celebrity lines excelled. There were three really well done, very well produced production shows. And that theater, by the way, is amazing. It's this two-tier, multi-level extravaganza. And you never know you were on a boat if you were just just suddenly find yourself inside it. Mm -hmm. And the singing, the dancing, the performers, I thought were all really good. And then on the off nights where there wasn't a production show, they would have different performers. One night, it was this incredible illusionist. Another night, it was a Billy Joel impersonator who was spectacular. And the other thing that they had in there, in the theater, which both my wife and I absolutely loved and we never expected we would, were these lectures by this naturalist. His name is Brent Nixon. 
And he would talk about Alaska. He would talk about the wildlife we were going to see. When we had our glacier cruising day, he was narrating it over the speakers of the ship. And he's such a lively and humorous and fun speaker. And he spoke basically every day, and we were sure not to, uh, not to miss um, his presentations. Nice. Now, uh, as far as the sea days go aboard Celebrity Solstice, how was the passenger flow both inside and outside of the cruise ship? Passenger flow was really good. I never felt as if I was dealing, aside from occasionally crowding on the Lido Deck Cafe, I never really felt as if I was dealing with with thousands of people. Um, We had so much fun exploring around the ship. There's a thousand things going on. The pool was very active because the weather was actually pretty good. And then when the weather wasn't so hot, they had a separate indoor adults-only pool, Mm -hmm. which, again, my wife and I were particularly grateful for. And then we also were able to prowl around the front upper decks of the ship and find all sorts of little more private seating areas that we thought were really fun. There was also in the upper aft deck part of the ship something that I'd never seen on a cruise ship before, which is an expanse of real-life grass and lawn. And that was just one of the more interesting little surprise finds we had. And they would have a hot glass blowing show up there, which seemed a little weird and random, but was actually really fun. And we would also spend the sea days going to the lectures and checking out the art and looking at all the the sales, the, the, the different stores would put on sales. And the other thing that surprised me about the boat is that there was a really fun, festive atmosphere going on all the time. There were performers, bands playing in the central area. There was music going on. There was just a sense of real fun and liveliness, which I didn't expect. And I felt like they were throwing us a party, and and they were doing a really good job. Nice. Now, I know that Celebrity Cruises isn't really known to have a lot of kids on board, but I also know that Alaska can attract a lot of kids with the multi-generational families that travel on there. So uh, were there a lot of kids on your sailing? Well, we were hoping, frankly, going in that there wouldn't be that many kids, and luckily our hope proved proved correct. On pool days, on those sea days when it was hot, the pool had a lot of action with, with I think, adults and teenagers as well. But the fear that we had of walking down the, the, the corridors of the ships and having a lot of so sort of little kids running back and forth was completely unfounded. It was mostly an adult group, though there still were families and teenagers, and they seemed to be enjoying themselves. Now, on this sailing, uh, the captain made a game day decision and switched up glaciers on you. Talk to us about that. Well, we had heard how beautiful Tracy Armfjord was, and so we, we got up. Of course, the glacier cruising day starts incredibly early, so my wife and I rouse ourselves up at 6 a.m., and we're on the deck, all bundled up and blurry-eyed, only to hear that there's too much ice blocking the entrance into Tracy Arm, and that they're going to turn right in turn of, instead of left and head down Indicott Arm to Dawes Glacier. And so as we turned, of course, we were both a little sad, but I think our sadness kind of turned into into shock and awe in terms of how beautiful the Indicott Arm was. We were sailing by these incredibly blue chunks of ice. We saw all the greenery. We saw the waterfalls cascading down the rock. And then we were able to get quite close 
to, um, I believe it's Dawes Glacier. And from what I've been able to read, we were even closer for the glacier that we were witnessing than other boats get when they cruise Tracy Arm. And it was just beautiful and spectacular. And there's no experience that I have ever had that I can compare to being on the deck of this boat as it was within, I'd say, 500 yards maybe of this incredible blue expanse of ice as chunks of it fell into the water. I just felt like it was one of those experiences that I will never forget in my entire life, and we just loved it. Well, and I always say this, but it's like you're living in a postcard for the day. Oh, totally. And not only were we living in a postcard, but I was trying to make as many of them as I could because <laughs> I had bought this fancy camera, nice. and I took as many pictures as, as I absolutely could. Of course, when I got home, I realized I had probably 200 pictures of the same iceberg, <laughs> and, I had probably, and I had taken 2,000 pictures, but it was just so much fun. And, and it's the type of thing that you can see pictures of, mm-hmm. but when you're there and experiencing of it, there's just this feeling of what an amazing planet we live on, and oh my gosh, how cool is it that we can actually see this? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. As far as the ports that you hit on this seven-night sailing, what ports did you hit, and which one was your favorite? We had four ports. We went to Ketchikan, Juneau, Skagway, and Victoria, and they're all amazing, but our favorite was Skagway. Because when we got off, there's one main street that really looks and feels like old Alaska. Mm -hmm. And it felt as if we had sort of walked back in time a little bit. And I had done a little research and found out that this was the entryway for many prospectors and miners who were trying to go into the, the Yukon during the gold rush. So they have this rich history there. And it was so interesting walking around. And then we did a shore excursion that started off beautiful and turned a little bit terrifying, but it was totally memorable. And we took the scenic White Pass Railway up the mountain. And that was incredibly scenic. And it's a narrow gauge railway. So you look down one end and you see bottomless precipices. And on the other end, you see, you see bridges and trellises and, and waterfalls. But then we had signed up for a shore excursion where we were taking a bike ride from the top of the mountain where you get off the railway and normally just get into a bus and go back down to the ship. But instead, we got on bikes and rode back down. Cool. And on one end, it was really beautiful because we were able to stop and take pictures of different glaciers and different things. On the other end, it was very steep, and it was a mountain highway. And so the speed that we were going was much faster, I think, than both my wife and I anticipated. But by the end of it, we were so exhilarated by it. And even though we were a little scared, we were so glad we did it. Nice. Yeah, what a thrill. Uh, what did you do in Juno and Ketchikan? In Ketchikan, one of the things I realized is because we were newcomers to Alaska, I really wanted to maximize the experience. So we booked a shore excursion in every one that was a different adventure. And so we kind of thought we were going to do land, sea, and air. And the bike ride in Skagway was our land version. In Ketchikan, we got on these Zodiac rafts and went out along the coast and looked at wildlife. And we saw eagles, we saw seals, we saw a whale in the distance. That was incredible. And then in Juneau, we got on a seaplane 
and went on a 40-minute five-glacier flight. Nice. And I had heard about the quote-unquote Juno ice field, but I had never seen it. And my experience for glaciers was only for the one that we had just cruised by. Well, we went over these miles and miles long stretches of, of ice with crevices and peaks and, and valleys. And it was one of the most incredible things we had ever seen. Yeah. And my wife, who was prone to motion sickness, who was sitting up with the pilot, had her motion sickness rear its ugly head. <laughs> but, but even though she got a little queasy, she thought it was as beautiful as I did. Yeah. And it was one of the more interesting sights I'd ever seen. And I never knew, as cool as it is looking at a glacier from sea level, when you're flying over it, it's even more amazing. Yeah, so amazing. Uh, do you have any tips to offer anyone either sailing Alaska or sailing Celebrity Solstice for the first time? Well, a couple things came to mind, and that is with Alaska, I would say absolutely do not miss those Brent Nixon lectures. Research the shore excursions and do some fun adventures. Heading up to Alaska is an adventure anyway, and it's so much fun to walk around the towns. But when you actually do an adventure after you walk around the towns or before that takes you into a little bit of the wilderness, mm -hmm. it's absolutely amazing. And then my wife and I are both relatively healthy eaters, and uh, we had figured we're going to be there for a week. We're going to kind of splurge a little bit. But it was only until we got back that I realized they have a healthy restaurant on board called Blue, mm -hmm. which is open, I think, only to aqua-class staterooms, which I think are about the same size as our cabin was. But I think they throw in some extra spa amenities. So in the future, I think we might have done that. I'd say the dining package on Celebrity Solstice is incredibly worth it. It was $100 for both my wife and I, and that included three nights of specialty dining, and then our travel agent threw in another night. So I think that was great. And then I'd also say don't miss that entertainment on board because it's really spectacular and very well done. And it added a jolt of energy and excitement to our evenings, which we really loved. And I got to the point where I was really looking forward to, uh, to seeing what it was every night. And it was so interesting to be able to come back in from a day of exploring in the wilderness and then see these great production shows. Yeah, absolutely. How was disembarkation for you once you got to Seattle? I didn't think anything could be easier than embarkation, mm -hmm. but disembarkation was even easier. And in this case, we were told that we didn't have to get out of the room until 8 in the morning. So we had a chance to kind of sleep in a little bit later. At 8 o'clock, we left. We went down to our station in the dining room where we were told we would be called. As soon as we got there, we were basically called, so there was no time we had to wait. And then we basically walked off the ship, found our luggage within, I'd say, two minutes, and then two minutes after that, walked right past customs. Now, we had to fill out customs forms because we stopped in Victoria, and they wanted to see if we had bought anything in Canada. Mm -hmm. But the guy didn't really even look at the form. He took the form, and we walked right past it was the most painless disembarkation that I anticipate you can have. And then before we knew it, we were out in the pickup area and we were calling an Uber. Cool. Looking back on your whole seven-night Alaska sailing, what was the biggest highlight or takeaway for you? I think the biggest highlight for us was 
don't be afraid to go someplace that you've never been that will provide an opportunity to see things and do things that you've never done before in your life. Because those things that pushed us out of our comfort zone a little bit, my wife being worried about getting sick on the plane or the steep bike ride or whatever, were creating ultimately for us memories of a lifetime. And it also made me think that as fun as cruising is, it can be even more fun if you go to more exotic locations. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we did is when I got back, I've been researching sort of other interesting parts of the world where we can cruise and see things. And I just think it's a great way of seeing a whole huge part of the world without having to go through the exhausting process of packing and unpacking and trying to travel across distances yourself. I'm just totally sold on on how the uh, that kind of vacation can work. Oh, absolutely. Uh, final question here, or actually, what are your final thoughts of Celebrity Solstice in closing? I think the boat was everything we had hoped it to be. For a cruise ship that, I know there are larger ones, but for us, this was a very big one. The way it was designed, the way we could find our way around, the ease with which we could navigate the ship was something that I thought was really good. And also, I love the kind of wow factors. I love the grass. I love that atrium. Every time I walked into the atrium from our cavern, I was kind of blown away by it. And just going into the elevator, normally we try to take the steps, but sometimes we took the elevators too because it's 15 stories tall. We could get into this glass elevator and get a little thrill going down to dinner every night. It was so much fun. And I think particularly well, uh, again, well-designed and well-built. And I thought that the way the cruise was managed, all of the ports, all of the production, I felt like I was participating in a high-class operation and I'd do it again. Very nice. We've been talking with Paul. Him and his wife just returned from a seven-night Alaska sailing out of Seattle on Celebrity Solstice. Paul, thanks for being on the show and sharing your review with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks, Doug. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker for my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not, not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you a peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Cruise Radio is produced weekly at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Hear Cruise Radio on iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Overseas Radio Network, iTunes, or at CruiseRadio.net. For sales and marketing opportunities, email sales at CruiseRadio.net. I'm your announcer. Hurry into Ram Power Days and experience the raw power of the Ram 3500 with available best-in-class torque and towing among 350-3500 pickups when properly equipped. Strap yourself in for one powerful ride in the Ram TRX with the most horsepower of any gas pickup ever built. Or the Ram 1500, awarded number one in driver appeal among light-duty pickups by J.D. Power three years in a row. Hurry into Ram Power Days going on now. For J.D. Power 2022 U.S. award information, visit jdpower.com awards.